Has it ever struck you um, what a joyful person Jesus was? Have you ever thought about that? What a joyful person Jesus was? That's an important thought for me this week, this day. Jesus was a person of real joy and happiness. Now, of course, we recall that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as the prophets predicted. He was. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He uh, experienced a lot of darkness and pain and agony, especially during Holy Week when he was betrayed by Judas, when he was denied by his friends as he made his way to the cross. It included suffering, persecution, problems, death. Life was indeed very difficult for Jesus, very sad, full of lots of agony. But generally, Jesus was a person of deep and abiding joy. Joy emerges when we love God and when we love God's people. Joy emerges when we know ourselves to be always enfolded into God's abiding care and nothing can separate us from God's love. Joy emerges when we focus our lives on loving God and loving what God loves. Especially when we read this passage like the one we have today from chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. Listen to these final words of Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so loves the grass of the field which is alive today and is to tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed... Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus was taken with the birds and their carefree way. Jesus was attracted to the beauty of flowers that blossomed all across the Galilean countryside. Jesus loved people, and Jesus embraced all people. 
Jesus uh, seemed to have a glorious sense of the goodness of God that was all around him, the beauty of God's creation all around him. And all of this generated a deep and abiding joy. His whole demeanor is many miles from darkness and despair that so often creep into our lives, the shadows taking over us. He's many miles from that. Jesus exuded such a joy. When he says, do not worry about tomorrow, we can assume he's leading by example, especially given his tomorrows. When he says, strive first for the kingdom and God's righteousness, he's offering a recipe that leads to joy. Jesus lived in the moment. He gives attention to the people and the tasks that were in front of him, and he always celebrated the grace and the goodness and the gifts of God that were around him. Today, as you've heard, is a dedication Sunday, commitment Sunday. That's what we've set aside this day for. We are, as members of this dynamic and devoted community of faith, invited again using the commitment cards that were mailed to every home or available from the ushers today, dedicating our time, our talents, our money to God's work in this church Dedication is our word for the day. We are, in a few moments, going to invite everyone to come forward and, as a tangible, visible act of dedication, put our commitment cards on this communion table. And when we do this, when we commit our lives to God's work, we are seeking to live with joy. It's about striving for the kingdom. It's an act of dedication, not worrying about our lives, but striving to follow Jesus, serve the kingdom, strive first for the kingdom, Jesus says. We seek to be about following Jesus, people who are not merely blown about by the circumstances of our lives, but people who are devoted, live with dedication. Our lives involve loving God and loving what God loves, who God loves. We're part of a community here where we come together and we sing and we pray and we seek to serve in this city. We share our lives, our hurts, our worries, and we find encouragement for the journey, seeking to grow in faith, and we seek to be a light in this city for God's work. Shining grace and love, that's our mission. Dedication Sunday offers us a tangible and visible expression of how our lives are focused. We're focused on serving God Strive first for the kingdom, not worrying, but doing God's work, and it intends to bring joy to us, to our lives. This particular Sunday, following a long season of acrimony that reminds us that this nation is deeply divided, following the elections for our city and our nation, dedication Dedication becomes a very helpful word. What, really, will we be dedicated to? What will shape our lives as citizens, as neighbors, as children of God? Dedication. How's it really going to look? 
One of my favorite writers and theologians is a man named Howard Thurman. He lived in the previous century. His works still speak volumes. His name is Howard Thurman. And here's a piece attributed to Howard Thurman, and it's called The Work of Election. When the speeches and the debates are stilled, when the signs have come down from our yards, the traveling journalists are home, and the pundits have turned to their other predictions, the work of community begins to listen to the hurting, to heal the wounds of words, to remind the hopeful of hope, and all the people, after the stumping and the bunting and the canvassing, people are still hungry, still homeless and lost. The faithful to Allah are waiting to make a home here. Veterans need services. Those who live with disabilities need respect. Prisoners need release from prisons built by incorporation, by incarceration corporations. The work of community continues because only community, not leaders, can do it. To re rebuild the nation slowly and over a long time to make peace a priority because it's a necessity and after a great time of conflict, to make music in the heart. What will be the focus of our dedication? How will our dedication really play out? Following the election results, I heard from a few friends who were so excited both about the city and about the nation. Their immediate response was to gloat, to celebrate, to reiterate phrases which had characterized a harsh and hateful season. Build the wall. Drain the swamp. Lock her up. And more. Some of the rhetoric has become so harsh and some of the hate has gotten so loud. I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't encourage that kind of response and dedication. Following the elections, even in Richmond, we have had protests in the streets. We've had graffiti sprayed on monuments. We've had more expressions of displeasure and disruption there's real concern and there's fear and there's uncertainty and there's displeasure around the nation. So we have protests and we have problems. I'm pretty sure Jesus would not encourage disruption and destruction as dedication. This is why dedication seems to be such a good word. What will our lives look like in dedication? I want to offer a few suggestions for all of us. First, let us devote ourselves to prayer. The prophets remind us to pray for the city. Jesus reminds us to pray for ourselves and others. Paul and others invite us to pray for our leaders. 
When we devote ourselves to prayer, we remember that our lives, and you know what? All things are in God's care, always. When we devote ourselves to prayers, we remember that God works through all things. And when we devote ourselves to prayer, we follow Jesus. We're urging not to worry. Pray. Can any of you who worry at a single hour to the span of your life, Jesus asks. God reigns in life and God reigns in the world. And also when we pray, you know what happens? We are changed. We are changed more and more to become the kind of people God calls us to be. So in these days, let us devote ourselves to prayer. We pray for our city. We pray for our mayor-elect. We pray for our local officials. We pray for our nation. We pray for our president-elect. And we pray for all national leaders. Our dedication to prayer is one effective way of carrying on in dedication as God's people. How else does dedication look for each of us? Second, there's no future without forgiveness. No future without forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer reminds us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That phrase confirms that we all need forgiveness. We have, in various ways, all contributed to the alienation and the acrimony across our nation. We've been part of it. We need forgiveness, and we need to forgive. And we are also forgiven, the prayer reminds us, as we forgive, and we are empowered to forgive as we are forgiven. It's a wonderful, fantastic dynamic. Forgiveness means letting go and letting God. Forgiveness frees us from the dismal corrosion that eats away at us. Bitterness fretting, desiring to get even. As individuals, as a nation, as God's people in the world, there's no future without forgiveness. Third, as we think about dedication, there's no gospel without inclusion and grace. As people of Jesus, we need, as Thurman reminds us, to build community. We need to listen to the hurting. We need to heal the wounds of the words. We need to remember that hope is our way. All people need hope. And some, actually, some of the most fearful and perplexed uh, by the most recent election are those with the most to lose. Those among us who have brown or black skin, those among us who do not have a secure place or status in our society, those who might be gay or transgendered or disabled, those who are poor, those who are afraid. We need to be attentive to any pending changes in our country where these people might fall further into discouragement, into disadvantage, and into despair in all of his teaching. Jesus, in all of his preaching, demonstrated a deep compassion for the marginalized, the ostracized, and the less fortunate. We want to be dedicated to that. What are we dedicated to? We need, in these days, maintain a dedication to inclusion and grace. Fourth, there's no hope without love. Love lived out in kindness, 
and gentleness. Our divided culture has led to lots of acrimony. Acrimony quickly leads to hatred. Hatred seems to get louder and louder and even harsher. Our divided culture demands something different from those who follow Jesus. We are to let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another, even those whom we disagree with, with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. We're to be ardent in the spirit. We're to be patient in suffering. We're to extend hospitality to everyone. That's a quote from Romans 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Friends, you know this. You know it. The promise of the gospel from the beginning of Genesis to the last words in Scripture, the promise of the whole gospel is hope. We're people of hope because we belong to God. If we belong to God, we live a certain way with kindness and gentleness. That's how we live. That's what we got to be dedicated to. As Jesus says, strive for the kingdom. This is what we do. Strive for the kingdom. This means living with love and kindness and gentleness and hope and never, ever losing hope. The events of this past week reminded me of something that had a deep impact on me. It happened a number of years ago. It happened when I was a student at Union Seminary. And we were sitting around in theology class, and the professor in the class asked, is there a single verse of Scripture that totally summarizes the message of the gospel? Is there a single verse of Scripture that conveys God's abounding promises and what Christian faith and life is all about? Is there a verse? We're students, we're in front of the professor, we start trembling, we start trying to come up with a verse. We said, oh, John 3.16, it's so famous. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The professor, mm, not so great. <laughs> we came up with other ones. Maybe the beginning of John, in him was life, and the life was the light of the world. Meh. <laughs> we struggled for other words. Maybe that from Romans. Nothing in life or death can separate us from God's love. Yeah, that's good. But is that the whole picture? Maybe it's from 1 Peter. Once you were no people, now you're God's people. Is that it? Mm, lukewarm again. We're starting to struggle and fumble and get nervous. The professor suggested a verse. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Aha. Wow, we thought. One verse. The whole of the gospel and a summary of Christian faith and life. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, 19. A summary of the gospel, a summary of Christian faith and life, and it wasn't even post-election season. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Friends, we're about dedication. Dedication and rededication. And we're always about the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says, strive first for the kingdom. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. We seek to serve God. We want to devote our lives to God's important work, which is about building community, bringing reconciliation. We have chances every day with wherever we find ourselves to each do this, the ministry of reconciliation. It's our calling. May we be about dedication to reconciliation, always and forever. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief and be about your main work of reconciliation and empower us, O God, to be reconcilers. Our dedication is to Christ our Lord. Amen.